Joining me now, Bill English from BibleAndBusiness.com. Welcome back, sir. Hey, thanks. Good to be back. Okay, you and I have a lot to cover today. The, the <laughs> yeah, we giant. Do. Okay, so here's the giant subject matter area. What can the church do uh, to get ready for the coming economic realities? First of all, what are the coming economic realities, and then how can we prepare for them? Yeah, to uh, to uh, summarize this, the coming economic reality, and I think it is going to happen this year or next, is that our national debt on an annual basis is going to exceed our national GDP, gross domestic product, which is a measure of all the goods and services, the output of our economy. And once a country starts to exceed its debt on an, on a, on the in the same time period that of, of its GDP. Um, investors start to look at that, people who buy the debt of the government, they start to look at that and they say, you know, this government may not ever be able to pay me back. And so uh, it becomes harder for the government to sell their debt. Usually they have to sell it at a higher rate. And uh, this debt starts to choke out economic growth. It starts to crowd out monies that would normally be available for investments in new businesses, which provide new jobs, that kind of thing. And uh, I think this is the coming economic reality. The COVID, we were going to get there anyways, Carmen, quite frankly, but the COVID uh, virus has propelled us exponentially quicker towards that uh, reality. Okay. And so I think that uh, immediately, Bill, the question is going to be, well, uh, so what? Um, Who buys the debt? Like, why should we worry about that? Um, And then uh, isn't everybody in the same boat now? Oh, you mean everybody in terms of all the countries around the yeah, world? Yeah, like globally, like, you know, so it only matters if we're the worst off, if we're actually the worst off. But if everybody else is bad off, too, then do you see what I'm saying? Like, I'm just trying yeah, to give you the layperson's on the road, on the on the street take, which is not, you know, you know not very good, I recognize. I, I, It's like saying we're the best looking horse in the glue factory. Yes, there you go. Okay, that's what it's like saying, yeah, I'm the best looking horse. I'm a stallion. I'm a stud. I'm still in the glue factory. Economic laws are what they are. You violate them to your peril. Look, uh, the people who buy the debt tend to be uh, uh, all kinds of funds that we invest in. Uh, Companies buy the debts. Other countries buy our debt. China owns over a trillion dollars of our debt right now. And so uh, who buys the debt? It's a whole host of different uh, people. What happens when they stop buying the debt or they curtail the debt they're, they're buying is that we're not able to fund everything we're trying to do as a government because we are dependent on two sources of revenue. One is our regular tax base from both individuals and companies, but the other one is being able to sell debt so that we can fund what we do. Okay, so... Um highly likely that we will be what just in layman's terms would be upside down. <laughs> is that is that a good Correct. way to understand this? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to be uh, upside, upside down. down. We we as a nation are going to be upside down in terms of our our debt to equity. Like our ability to pay off our debt, we are going to um we're going to be upside down on our loans. So if if that were to happen to us on a personal level, um we might declare bankruptcy. Correct. But that's not an option, I assume, for the U.S. government. Um, And so tell us what happens next. Well, it's really anyone's guess. We really don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know. You don't know. uh, The markets don't don't like 
markets don't like that kind of uncertainty. Am I right? You're right. And so the stock market probably takes a hit. Uh, investors who buy the government debt will probably demand a higher rate of return here. Uh, we know that interest rates will rise as a result of this, which means that the government will spend more money servicing the debt that it already has. Now, right now, today, we spend about $400 billion a year just on interest servicing our federal debt, which is about 9%, a little bit under that, but I rounded up to 9% of all of our federal outlays, okay? You raise that for every percentage point you go up, you go up a certain amount of dollars. If, if we went from a, a prime of, say, 3% to 6%, that $400 billion probably goes to six or $700 billion a year. And, and we don't have the cash to pay the interest, so we got to borrow that cash. Um, Ooh, it's the, never it's, good to have to borrow no, to pay your interest no. on your loan. That's never good. That's Correct. never good. Correct. And our largest creditor uh, within the overall debt structure, so our debts right now are at about 21 to 22, no, I'm sorry, our overall federal debt is 25 trillion. My bad. I was getting my numbers mixed up. Our largest creditor within that is Social Security. Uh, we borrow we, again, so, we're borrowing against Social Security to pay our other bills. And that was by design when they passed the Social Security law back in the 30s. Okay, so which means that for a person who maybe is 14 years from 65, because, you know, it it only matters to me. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, I graduated in 79. You graduated in 86? Yeah. Oh, gosh. It's okay. So, uh, well, look how how much further along you are than I am. Okay, so... (laughs) um, so getting back to this question of uh, borrowing against Social Security. So um, someone who is, you know, let's just say hypothetically 14 years away from quote unquote retirement, which who knows? I mean, 65 sounds like a crazy young age to retire today. But um, let's just say that that is the age. Um, maybe I shouldn't be counting on it being there because we may have borrowed against it to the point that it doesn't exist. That's what I think. Yeah, that's what I think. And and you have all these unfunded spending mandates coming up over the next 20 years that we don't have any money for this. This idea that we have a Social Security trust fund is a canard. It, it just doesn't exist. And so uh, the only place they can get money is through current taxes or through borrowing. And uh, yeah, Social Security, I don't think is going to be there in any meaningful form. And I'm 59. Uh, I have eight years till I can start really fully retiring in theory on Social Security. I don't plan on it being there. It's it's not even part of my retirement picture, to be honest with you. All right. Bill English and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. He is actually going to tell us what then the church should do now, anticipating what is coming in terms of economic realities here in the United States. We'll be right back. All right, I am talking with Bill English. We are talking about a brand new piece he has posted at BibleAndBusiness.com. What the church can do to get ready for the coming economic realities. Um, What's on your list of what the church can do now? You know, there's really two things we can do now. Number one is get out of debt. And that that's just not the local church institution. That's the members of the church, too. Uh, We've got to get out of debt. 
if you're considering a uh, huge expansion of your facilities, I would advise that you rethink that. Spending 10, 20, 30, 50 million dollars on a new facility, you may need that money five years from now uh, to do ministry, and you'll wish you hadn't put it into brick and mortar. Uh, the other thing is that we have to develop at the grassroots, Carmen, we have to develop a, 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 a mindset and an ethos, an ethic, an attitude of generosity. You know, the, you know this, and I know this, that the average, the average Christian in the average pew only ties about 3%. And we're going to need them giving 10 times that amount when these economic realities finally hit, because the need across our, our country is going to be so great, and our opportunity to minister to other people through economic means is going to be so significant that if we are in the same boat with them, we will be impotent to be able to minister to them. If we can minister from a position of economic strength because we don't have debt, because we have saved our money, then we will be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we are handing out dollars, as we're handing out food in ways that we have not been able to in, in the recent past. And we have got to get people in the average pew thinking about somebody else rather than their own 401k or rather than their own retirement. All right. So we got to get out of debt and we have to become um, generosity has to actually become our ethic. Um, I have does. a few more ideas. Go, go. <laughs> <laughs> you may not like it. It's your, I mean, it's your I don't know. show. You know, well, I mean, to... you know, I'm 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 a person that likes to sort of think on the creative edge of things. So one of the things that I think churches must do if they're not already doing it is have a very serious conversation about their pastor becoming a tent maker or their pastor going on the payroll of somebody else that then loans the pastor to the church. So um, because for many for many churches, you know, they, they are in a paid off building in lots of places across the country. Um, but their their burden is not only that they need to pay their pastor, but that the pastor needs like real benefits like health, health care and all kinds of other things. And so if you could get your pastor on the payroll of a local business who then assigned the workload of uh, back to the church. Right. So they're a tent maker, but really they're. Their job is ministry. So this is just a creative way of creating maybe sure. a, uh, a private partnership. Um, also, businesses could be hosting churches, and therefore churches don't have to build parking lots. They don't have to build buildings. Businesses could um, offer their facilities for, uh, for use by the church. And so just think creatively about the space that you have, maybe space that's going to be coming available because you're now going to allow lots of your employees to telecommute. Um, maybe everybody's not coming back to your building and you're wondering how you're going to use your building in a way that not only you know is good for business, but good for the kingdom. Um, maybe you could partner with a local church who is in a an upside down uh, debt in terms of their building. And you could say, hey, you can come use our facility. You can use our parking lot. You don't need, you know, you don't necessarily need a building of your own. You know, be, you know, it's sort of uh, the people of God being in a tent. Um, you could at least have some sort of um, uh, some sort of creative income streams for your church that are not just donation based. Yeah, I like both of those. Really, uh, uh, spreading the cost of overhead over. Oh, multiple see, I entities. knew you'd have better. Knew you'd have better <laughs> ways of saying it. Spreading the cost of overhead. 
That's good. Hey, come on, you know, I I, I love you, Carmen. Come on now. Uh, but good. I need better words. Spreading, spreading the cost of overhead over multiple entities makes sense. Um, I think we're going to be driven back to our homes much more often than what we anticipate uh, for church. And this whole Zoom thing, the online church thing, I think it's going to become more accepted and more uh, common than, than what we might realize. You know, maybe maybe not for everybody on Sunday morning because we don't want to, you know, I love to get together with my peeps. Um, with the people oh, of the yeah. church. Um, but I do recognize that the it is so much more reasonable, particularly where it's a long drive to get together. Um, great to be able to join something that is already happening on the church campus. And for me to be able to join it remotely, either because I'm shut in or I have a person in my family um, who, you know, because of age and stage of life or whatever, I can't leave during the time that something is going on at church that I really want to participate in. I really hope that the church thinks creatively about those opportunities going forward. Yeah, I, I agree. And I hope that the church, uh, the church body at the grassroots level starts to realize that our opportunities to minister are not through programmatic means only uh, that are approved by an elder board at a church. Uh, that we have a ton of opportunity to minister to people directly, but we need to do it from a position of strength and have some margin there. Otherwise, we're going to be in the same boat they're in. I'm glad I'm in the boat with you, man. It's good. Yeah, it's good to be it's on good. the air with you. It really is. Yeah, it really is. It's really good. All right. Have a, uh, have a blessed week. We will talk with you again next week. Uh, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. All right. I look forward to it. All right, that's Bill English. Check out his brand new piece at BibleAndBusiness.com, what the church can do to get ready for the coming economic realities. We'll be right back. Ravi Zacharias, I don't know about you, but uh, he is a voice that speaks in my head and heart as well. Appreciate John Stone Street's reflection there. Um, all right. So uh, we have celebrated and then kind of lamented the rise and then disappearance of some good news, which uh, was John Krasinski's attempt to get some good news out during the coronavirus epidemic. But guess what? There are people who are pressing out good news all the time. And so next up, I'm going to talk with Rob Neely from Inspire More. You can find it all at InspireMore.com. We'll be right back.